back to Everyday Eternal, everyone. So today we're going to have a cast on Miracles, and we have a bunch of guests. So today I'm going to play a little bit of a moderator role. So first, let's introduce Sam. Uh, I'm Sam. I'm on almost every episode, in case you forgot who I am. I'm the guy who posts screenshots of ridiculous moto stacks online and does really poorly at Star City Dallas. Perfect. Sorry to hear that from you, Sam. Uh, next, uh, another regular, Julian. Hi, I'm Julian. I'm the guy who likes to cast all the green dudes and complain a lot about X. That's fair. The next person we have on is actually a new member who has never been on the cast before, Tomas. Hello, uh, my name is Tomas Wojcik, and uh, with my friends we traveled uh, around the U.S. and I came 11 in New Jersey, uh, GP New Jersey, and then I was fifth in Star City, Richmond, and I had some, some decent results with miracles uh, in Europe. I've been playing the deck since about 2012, and and I feel really confident with it. I think it's the best deck, and that's why we will talk about it today. Excellent. Thanks, Tomas. And now, lastly, some random guy from Austria, Philip. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Philip Schoeniger from Austria. I've been doing quite well with uh, Miracles lately, like all of 2014. I've been on the cast um, after I top 8 at GP Paris, and now I top 8 at GP New Jersey as well, and yeah, Miracles. Yay. Yeah, so Philip has played a little bit of Miracles, Tomas has played a little bit of Miracles, Sam has played a little bit of Miracles, and Julian, have you played a little bit of Miracles? Yeah, I actually played Miracles for like, like at the very beginning in 2012, and I recently picked it up every now and then when we see good performances out of it, because I agree with Thomas, it's the best deck, and you should at least try to play it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've even like played a little bit with the deck, and it was, uh, it was a fun time. So to start off, because we're going to talk about Miracles basically for the next hour and a bit, let's kind of start off where the deck kind of started from. So Sam, can you tell us something a little about the beginning of uh, Miracles? So if you want to talk about the history of Miracles, what you've really got to talk about is the history of countertop decks. Um, Countertop is one of those combinations that you can stick in a lot of decks and not have it be a countertop deck, but... The history of decks that are trying to do that as their main plan is basically starts with um, Countertop Threshold, uh, which later turned into Countertop Goyf, which essentially was, I'm going to counter a bunch of your guys, uh, and that's going to fill up graveyards, and my Goyf is going to get real big, my Mongoose is going to get real big, my Werebear is going to get real big. Uh, I was not playing during this time, so I can't speak a whole lot about this. I don't know if any of the other guys can uh, give a little more info on uh, that particular deck. Um, yeah, the, the the archetype that Sam describes wasn't really that big in Europe, at least from my impression, but it was around. It, it wasn't as well positioned as Miracles is right now, but to me it always felt like strategically somewhat different, because back then, like all the different countertop decks we had, like Dreadstill or, or Supreme Blue or you, whatever you want to call it, they actually focused on countertop in, in the way that once you had it on the table, you really wanted to control the game with it and, and counter everything. Whereas right now, I feel like it's more of a tool for Miracles. It creates card advantage, but there are not a whole lot of matchups where you would actually think that this is it and this is what I'm doing and you're never going to reserve a spell again. Of course, other cards are printed like Kasari Pride Mage and then we get Crozen Grip and Abrupt Decay. So that also made, like, pick the de- deck a different strategic outlook, I would say. Yeah, I'm. I was playing during this time when Countertop Thresh was more popular. Uh, it wasn't super popular in our metagame. However, uh, back in the day, you didn't have Abrupt Decay to kind of deal with the Countertop, so it was a lot more devastating. But I did play a lot of Dreadstill. Uh, Dreadstill was more popular 
kind of closer to 2012. So kind of the 2010 to uh, 2012 region. Did anyone else play Dread still at all? Yeah, I, I played for a couple of tournaments. It was like the deck to beat in at least southern Germany. And I think there were a couple of guys, most of all, I think people remember Marius Hausmann, if you're from Germany, who won like almost every tournament with it there with countertops. So yeah, it was definitely the deck to beat between 2010 and 2000. And, yeah, between 2009 and 2011, actually. So then moving on from that, because that was kind of in the early 2006, 2007, we moved on to the Thopter builds of Counterbalance. So going back to maybe Tomas, do you recall this deck? Or were you playing then? Uh, not really. To be honest, uh, I didn't. I didn't play this deck. Okay, so Sam, you played a little bit of Thopters, did you not? Yeah, Thopters was the first uh, counterbalance deck that I played a lot. Uh, what you're doing here is just abusing the Thopter Foundry sort of the meat combo. Usually, uh, that would also involve having, say, Enlightened Tutor, which gives you the ability to search for things to put on top with uh, with Counterbalance Trigger on the stack. That way you can counter just about anything if you absolutely have to. So, you know, if you knew you didn't have a three on top, you could just tutor for one, put it on top, and yeah, you lost your top three cards, but you countered whatever, you know, their kill spell. That was, it's a big advantage. I think it's kind of fall is same as Dreadstill was, Abrupt Decay is a big hit for it when you can hit the Thopter Foundry and the Sword. But also the strength of uh, Graveyard Hate recently has gotten so much better that, you know, if you land a Rest in Peace, that combo is pretty much done. I also feel like the printing of Entreat the Angels and Terminus kind of spelt the end for this deck, because you were grinding out advantage with Thopters, but then if you could just Entreat the Angels, why would you need two cards? Yeah, and that's the thing uh, I kind of wanted to address a little bit later, but yeah, the another big kind of downfall for it was that the cards you could win with in a blue-white X countertop shell, uh, they the new win cards were a lot better. Uh, after Thopters, I do want to mention there was kind of a weird resurgence, or I guess starting surgence, whatever the word for that is. In 2012, on the Star City circuit, there was about two months, and I went through and I looked at it, in about two months, there were probably 10 top eights of rug counterbalance. And this was essentially exactly what you think of a stock Canadian threshold list with counterbalance and top, usually four of both in the main, doing quite well. And it, it was you know two or three months. It was in almost every tournament. And then it just dropped off. And I'm not really sure, but just wanted to throw that out there because it's definitely really interesting. And if I recall, those were in the months before Terminus and Entreat the Angel were printed. Uh, that sounds correct. I would have to look, but that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, they were printed. Philip, go ahead. Yeah, that was that was definitely before Terminus, because I actually played one tournament in Slovenia with Canadian Threshold and Balance and Top in the sideboard. And yeah, it, the deck was pretty fun. Um, I think that's strictly inferior to typically Canadian Threshold, because you um, give up so much of your deck's velocity to like hedge against the mirror match and burn basically that's what we um boarded it for but yeah it was it's definitely a lot of fun but I'm not sure it's any good to be honest and that's probably why we don't see any of it right now yeah as in zero copies you do still occasionally see people playing canadian threshold style decks with like you know a couple counterbalance on top on the side i guess maybe that's hedging their bets against combo even stronger but as you say not very common anymore so basically, in I think it was April of 2012, when uh, Avacyn Restored was printed, and gave us those two cards, Terminus and Entreat the Angels. So I think Karsten Cotter was one of the first major 
people to kind of write about it, especially on Star City Games, to kind of talk about it. So, Tomas, when you saw those cards printed, what did you think? Uh, well, everybody was obviously talking about it, whether it's good enough, whether isn't it too clumsy. Uh, you had Brainstorm, but uh, what if you draw it in your opening hand? And I remember it, it, uh, it, it took some time before, before people start playing it. I remember at the time I was playing uh, Blue-White Stoneforge uh, with four Spellsnare. And I remember I just at like Terminus or two and I wasn't sure whether it's good enough. And I remember once drawing it and playing it even if I didn't want to because I wanted to try it. Uh, but then I played against this deck several times. I remember for the first time I played, played against it in Ansi in France against some Danish, Felix friend. And uh, I was quite impressed. And then for GP Ghent I built a deck and I played with it. So Sam, what did you think? Uh, I, you know, I wasn't super active on uh, Magic Forums at the time, so I can't like go back and look up my thoughts. But I remember I was a big part of the group that was thinking, you know, this miracle mechanic is really, really dumb, and you know, it resulted in things like the top deck. Uh, what was it in the Pro Tour where the guy flipped the top deck and was like, "Oh, I win." So uh, that was my initial thought. Like, regardless of whether or not they were good enough, Terminus wasn't obvious good enough for me. But in Treat the Angels, you know that. Double white is still uh, something that, you know, sometimes you'll draw the card and not have the double white because, you know, you fetched your islands first or whatever. So I was a little iffy. Also, I like sticking to my old decks sometimes. So even after they were printed, I continued to play Thopters for a while. Philip? So, yeah, um, there was one big mistake that kind of all of us made. When we looked at these Miracle Cards we first thought as them uh, of them as like new cards for the basically blue white counterbalance deck. So we basically took a look at Entreaty Angel and thought like, oh well, that's actually a good free drop that can finally enhance the counterbalance curve to like a decent bolster of free drop cards that you could actually play and have have in your deck to kind of flip off counterbalance. And this was the kind of big mistake that we made like. Miraculous isn't really a counterbalance deck with um, Miraculous. It's a dividing top deck with counterbalance and Miraculous. So yeah, um, at first I obviously didn't think any good of these cards because I'm terrible at evaluating new cards of new sets without testing. So yeah, I was I was pretty wrong at first when I saw them. Julian, what did you think when you saw Terminus for the first time? Um, I still remember the day uh, when they came out. Or let's say one or two weeks afterwards, because once they became legal, we had a tournament in Nuremberg, and it was completely annihilated by what would later become a miracle stack. I think it was already pretty close. I don't have the list here, but I wasn't there, but I looked up the list like on Saturday night when the tournament was over, and a friend already had messaged me, oh my god, oh my god, the sky is falling, look at this, Maverick is dead. Because back then, most of us were playing Maverick, and... Imagine Maverick is not very well positioned against Miracles, especially when you're totally unprepared for it. So the tournament was completely taken by storm. By, by I'm calling it Miracles. It wasn't really like the Miracles that we are playing today, but it was in the same train of thought. Pre-Miracles, yeah. So at that moment, I immediately picked up Miracles and started working on it. And yeah, I, I was very positive about, about the deck and the mechanic because it felt like so overpowered. And yeah, I, I was... Overall, I mean, I was happy. I was sad I couldn't play Maverick anymore, but I was pretty excited and, and looking forward to playing with, with this new deck. I agree. When I saw the cards coming out, I wasn't sure if they were good enough, and then you start playing with it and you realize a one-mana instant speed Wrath of God is pretty good. 
if you'll also notice, uh, there was a gap in the kind of counterbalance problem from April until October. If you'll notice, uh, Abrupt Decay was not printed until October 2012, or September 2012. Uh, so there was a time when uh, breaking up a counterbalance lock, depending on your deck, what could have been quite difficult. And uh, I remember uh, thinking, this deck is pretty darn good, but you actually didn't see a lot of it in the States. Because I remember playing in Star City Games, the, one, the only one where I did really well, playing Death Ride Shaman and Abrupt Decay, and I was thinking, oh man, this Miracles deck is really good, I better pack more hate for it. And I just didn't see it in the room. So I think it still it still took a while for the states especially to kind of pick up on it. I don't think it really did until kind of November, December of uh, 2012, which is still, again, showing the gap between the United States and European metagames. Which is a nice paradox because when Abrupt Decay was printed, everybody was saying, oh, miracles, it was nice, it was short, but now we have Abrupt Decay, so counterbalance doesn't mean anything anymore. Little did they know, they had no idea what they were talking about, and uh, I really agree because, the, like, like Philip was saying, the deck is a Sensei's Divining Top deck, and it just happens to have counterbalance. So absolutely, I really agree, and we cited out quite often, but I think we'll talk about it later. Yeah. <clears throat> so moving on, so the deck started off as a it has to be a blue white deck to accommodate kind of what we want to do, but as we know, kind of what was what were the first builds looking like? We'll say kind of by GP Denver, so that would have been January 2013. Philip, what were the decks looking like then? Um, when I was starting, basically, I, I actually so I actually have the list that I started building miracles, and it was actually four color. So I was yeah, I was pretty bad. Um, we soon went back to like blue white, and we actually played around with the black splash back then. A lot of us did. Um, and it's terrible. Like there's, uh, there's basically no reason not to play red over black, because everything black does, red does better, and at instant and cheaper. And it was somewhat. No, it wasn't even close. But the gap has widened ever since we got Council's Judgment. So there's literally no reason to run um, Vindicate anymore. This card is terrible for a strategy like this. Like there's, there's just no um, option to play like black. You can make arguments to stay blue-white. It's inferior, but you can do it um, which you cannot really um, argue for blue-white-black. That's just... It, it puts strains in the mana base without um, adding to the velocity and strength of the deck like that Red Elemental Blast gives you. Because, if I can, uh, my original list, I played 2002 in Ghent in GP, so it was even before. It was uh, really blue-white. And I even played Mishra's Factories, and I played four Counterbalance and four Terminu Terminus because I expected to be very good. And in the GP, I only played against uh, like um, uh, Ragdelver, which uh, Counterbalance top was enough, or I played against Esperblade, and they had basically one vindic Vindicate, and that, that was all how they could answer Counterbalance. So it was very, very strong at the time. But I remember playing three Mishra's Factory. Yeah, so, so do I. Julian? You said you had a list from GP Gantt in 2012? Yeah, I just put up the list from GP uh, Gantt in 2012 because I wanted to compare it against what we are playing these days. And it's surprisingly close. I wasn't aware that it was that close. Um, for that GP, I was working on the list with Mark Vogt. That some of you guys know personally, I think. Um, for creatures, we played two Snapcaster Mages and two Mandillion Clicks. Okay, that's maybe maybe not up to date in the list that the Europeans play these days. Then for instance, it was like the usual package of four brainstorm, four forces, four swords of plowshares, three counter spells, two spell pierces, 
Uh, four terminus, two entreat, one ponder. Philip will like this. We <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, weren't right at four yet. I still remember, like right before the tournament, Mark told me, "I don't think we want three snapcaster mages. I'm pretty sure we want two snapcaster mages and one ponder." So yeah, uh, <laughs> three counterbalances, three chase for top and twenty-two lands, including one Caracas. And I still remember, oh yeah, two humility or even three humility in the sideboard. And I still lost to to Sneak Show, even though I had humility, just because the guy just killed me the regular way. That was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> anyway, it's so funny I... because I'm I'm sorry. I'm just seeing my decklist from GP Gen, uh, where I was uh, 47, and I have one wasteland as well, three Mishra's Factory, <laughs> and, and I played Jita in the board with uh, two Stoneforge Mystic and Better Skull, oh, I, I Surgical love... Extraction, and Wedalcon Shackles. Yeah, the builds have definitely changed. Some I remember some people hedging their bets in the mirror with Stoneforge Mystic or against some creature decks who play Stoneforge and Batter Skull. Or... I love how you played One Wasteland because that's the exact same consideration we had like right before GP Gant to include One Wasteland because we really had trouble trouble speeding Academy Ruins out of lands. I, I kind of like that we arrived at the same conclusion. <laughs> yeah, um, it, was, it was funny when, when Julian told us the configuration of his deck. I also had um, have my decklist from Gent here where I won a trial, and it's like three cards off. I didn't play Ponda, <coughs> um, but yeah, I, it's like kind of the same. I had like three spell pierce and two counter spell instead of two and three, and I had three snapcasters. So I think we were pretty close to the stock core of Miracles already. So Sam, at this time, were you all, did you already pick up the regular Miracles lists that were going around, or were you still on Thopters? I was still on Thopters, but I was doing the thing where I said, okay, these Miracles cards are really good, and in a Thopters deck, I was probably playing like two or three Terminus, because really, what's the worst that could happen? You'd attack, you, they would do something, you Terminus, you make a whole bunch more dudes, and your Terminus doesn't really hurt you that badly. I didn't go full-on Miracles until... As far as the deck's history, quite late. Interesting. So, would you play the deck strictly blue-red now? Or oh, sorry, blue-white nowadays? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. At the time, uh, I felt it's important to have these uh, manlands, and I think they were very good uh, for the time. But obviously, today playing without Red Elemental Blast is just unthinkable. That's that's the most important uh, splash, and um, it's it's not possible because uh, I guess. The meta is even more blue now, and I think we, we simply want uh, that Red Elemental Blast. It's necessary. Also, the legend rule changed. We want to kill Jace and things like that. Um, yes. Agreed. That's also an important consideration. During the middle of this deck's kind of existence, the legend rule changing is quite important. I totally agree. Like, back then, we didn't even look that deep into splashes. We considered black for, like, having a better... Matchup against all the mid-range decks for, for stuff like, I don't know, Parish or Discard against other kind of decks. But I totally agree with Thomas that the meta is so blue these days and you really want the, the very good one mana destroy anything blue or just counter anything blue. It, it helps you out a lot. Also, we, we're seeing more sneak and show, so it gives you another out to, to countering, for example, show and tell. So, yeah, that's where I want to be. Yes, and, and one more spell you really want to counter with this Red Elemental Bus is Counterbalance. In those days, it wasn't that relevant because there were not that many of them, I would say. You played mostly against Esper, uh, Rack, and so on. But uh, you really, you really, we will talk about later, you want to counter counterbalance. 
Yeah, and um, I'm obviously also on the side of like red uh, splash. Um, and looking at my Gantt list, I already had three red elemental blasts in my sideboard. So. Well, that's why you managed yeah. to beat me in the trial. <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing game. <laughs> you were screwing around. I had three red elemental blasts and three snapcaster. Oh, yeah, I think I couldn't I cast well. anything because Maybe. I was stuck on two lists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you didn't cast anything and I had everything. I think I played well. Maybe. It, it was kind of funny because it was the second round of the trial. And I, I had never met Philip before, but we talked a bit on the source. And then for the second round, he sits down and he tells me, he asks me, are you truly in 23? And I'm like, oh, what? Uh, maybe. And then he told me, there's maybe. only one Julian, there's only one Julian who plays Miracles. So this goes out to all the players who always think about elves when, when they hear my name. Back then, it was like, there's only <laughs> yeah. one Julian who plays Miracles. <laughs> well, times, times have changed. Yeah. So Sam, what are your thoughts? Would you ever go to straight blue-white or... Um, I would not go straight to blue-white, but that's more because I'm really greedy. Uh, I would be sticking to the red splash, both for the awesomeness that is red blast, but the sideboard blood moon is just so good against so much of the format that I can't help but have it there. That's fair enough. I mean, like, uh, at, at GP Jersey, I played a match against Bug where... My entire game plan, I actually played a one main deck, Blood Moon, at Jersey, where my entire plan against Bug was, like, race this out, and I played against a Bug player who used to be a Miracles player, and he was he looked at my hand and was like, no, that's a great starting hand, just rush out Blood Moon and I lose the game. It just sucks that I had all the counter spells. You just have to land it. That's the... Uh, that's the it's main real game. strong when you do, though. So, but that's not how it works. <laughs> so exactly. Moving on from history... Let's move on to kind of what's going on nowadays. So there seems to be three primary builds, as most of us do now. But if you don't, there's a Stoneblade build, which <clears throat> excuse me, isn't terribly popular. There's the Jolicet build that was very popular for a long time with a lot of, especially American players. And as of, as of late, uh, Philip's build, uh, a.k.a. the Ponder build, has become extremely popular. So I'd like to talk to everyone about their thoughts on the three different builds, kind of what they think. So starting with Tomas, what do you think between the three different builds? I would I would like to say that I would probably add one more build, which is uh, Rest in Peace, Helm of Obedience. I usually consider that an older build, but sure. Yeah, let's add that in. So Stoneblade, yes, Rest in Peace, yes, Legends. Yes. I'm just saying that uh, that would be, that's the of, that also changes uh, the, the, the deck completely. But uh, it, obviously, this is uh, this is uh, this is this is very difficult. Obviously, we think the best build is the four ponder control version. Uh, we think it's the best. Um, uh, I think I think that Joe Losset is a great player, but I think he's the only one who can play his deck. To be honest, like with this success, I agree. I, I think. think Joe is an excellent player, and if he picked up any build, he would do well with it. I just think that maybe perhaps for his testing, and he's very comfortable with it. He ends up doing well. Yes, yes, I, and I think he was even talking about it. That, uh, he was even talking about it that uh, he was playing against Sneak and Show, and he had that one Venser, and it worked so well. So he kept it, and he had another one, and so on. So I think that he had his own way how to get to this deck. Um, so uh, that's this. Uh, the, the thing I don't like very much about the Stoneforge version is that you're not doing anything really well. Uh, so you are playing Stoneforge Mystic in the game one, where they have removal. That's great about our deck that we we uh, we blank their removals and possibly we can play it in the sideboard. 
Um, so I think the four ponder build is the best because you, you, you really find what you want whenever you need it. The card selection is absolutely fantastic and if you know how to play with the top, it's just uh, this deck is, uh, has enough. You know, you, you're winning because, not because of luck. There is no luck when you're playing Miracles. So Sam, that's what I like. Do you agree? Disagree? Uh, I think the primary reason for the Stoneblade, I agree that you kind of weaken yourself by having two completely distinct plans. I think the primary advantage of playing these Stoneblade builds is that you're a lot more likely to win quickly, which could mean winning in time or in a big event, just winning with 10 or 15 minutes into the round so you can use the restroom, grab a drink, etc. is totally relevant. Uh, in terms of Legends versus the Ponder builds, I think it's up to personal preference. Uh, I like the Legends build for the reason that Joe has said on his stream that he likes it, which is pretty much every card that you draw, you can play and it does something. Whereas with the Ponder build, you know, you draw a Ponder and what it does is it draws you a different card. So I like the Legends build better because you're doing a little bit more, but I definitely agree that the Ponder list has the ability to be a lot more uh, explosive and powerful. Julian? What are your thoughts? Well, I haven't really tried out all the other lists. And, I mean, yeah, I think Joe's list overall has more potential to do some, air quotes, broken stuff. But the four-pointer list is just so inherently consistent and strong. It's like, let's call it like an 8 out of 10, and Joe's deck would be like a 9 out of 10. But on, on the low end, uh, Joe's deck can be even lower than the miracle, the, the four-pointer list. And by that, I mean, I think the, the variance of... of how well the deck performs is greater for Joe's deck, whereas the, the four ponder list is, is so much more consistent and definitely where I want to be. And also, on top of that, you really can't, can't argue with results. Like, what we've seen out of, of uh, Tomas and Philip and even Angelo Cadet, you might know, like, these guys are in, doing incredibly well with four ponder and are also almost the sole reason why I pick up the deck every now and then again to just give it a try because we're just seeing great results and if you're a competitive player, you, you can't just turn away and be like, yeah, but that's not what I want to play. You, you have to at least give it a try because what we are seeing is absolutely great. So now, Philip, since you're totally biased in this question, I want you to go over <laughs> why the other lists are worse than your suggested list as opposed to saying why yours is better. That's a good question. So, um, okay, uh, the Stoneblade list is interesting um whether you well some of these like are stoneblade with miracles some are like miracles with stoneblade sideboard but i think you're more like referring to a traditional miracle build that drops like entreaty angels or cuts it to one and adds like mystics mainboard and probably sideboard as well um i've played it like two years ago um did fairly well but dropped it as the progress went on but i played against the gp address in the top eight uh, when i played against philip raverman and, I mean, he's a good player, obviously, made top eight, so well, it, was, it was a fun match. Um, in the first in the first game, he had Stoneforge Mystic, and I had eight, eight removal spells in my deck. So take a guess how good this card was. Yep, terrible. Um, interestingly enough, his sideboard had like more Mystics and a second Battle Skull. And I had like, access to his deck list. So I actually uh, boarded differently than I would have if I played against... like. Uh, the same 75 that I was playing. So I, I kept Terminus. So why the story? Um, I obviously won, but I won because I saw his deck list. Would I have won if I had boarded Flusterstorms instead of Terminus? I actually don't think so. So I think uh, the Stormblood version has the inherently 
big weakness of having like creatures game one, which opens your opponent to like use their um, use those spells that would have otherwise been somewhat dead. Um, but post board Stoneforge and Bellascal is definitely a potent weapon, and if you feel like describing a miracle build with a lot of Stoneforge and Bellascal in the sideboard, I would actually say it's it's okay if you like the surprise factor. It's okay if you want big impact cards. It's okay if you wanna if you wanna feel lucky and draw the right cards in the right matchups, just like Blood Moon. But that's not how it works. Um, but we'll come to that later, I guess. And yeah, Joe's Legends build has the as said earlier the most broken stuff like Clicker Lock, Venza uh, Lock, Blood Moon, whatever. Um, it has everything, but it's also terribly inconsistent. And going less than four swords to plowshares is still unthinkable for me. Um, I agree. Me. I totally agree. But continue. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, so like, I, I've I've played legends. I played my fair share of legend miracle back in the day. Um, I've mostly played a list that Angelo Angelo sent me. It also had like, um, what was this blue? Um, uh, I don't remember the name. It kind of it, it it put your it put your opponent's permanent on the top of their deck. Um, unexpectedly absent. Uh, unexpectedly, oh, it wasn't even blue. Yeah, unexpectedly absent. Yeah, so I played the Legends version with that, and it, it it was okay. But what I really didn't like was the oh I have a hand that's very good against Sneakshaw, so I beat Sneakshaw. Oh I have a hand that's very good against Demira, so I beat Demira. But what if I have a hand that's good against Sneakshaw and I play against Delva? What if I have a hand like what if what if you draw the wrong cards? And that's not what I want from playing competitive magic. I don't want to have like the right and the wrong cards in my deck. I want my deck to be like hundred percent the same, being able to find whatever I need. Um and yeah, when, whenever you can if you if you have the choice between like having a hand of lands and swords, or having a land uh, a hand of lands and spell pierces or counter spells, I would rather have a land a hand of lands and ponders or brainstorms or whatever. Like so then I'm not completely dead if my opponent plays something that I didn't expect, and that's what I think is the biggest weakness of um, Joe's deck. Like that it actually draws cards that it doesn't want to. Fair enough. So. Moving on, I'm just going to ask some kind of general questions before we move on to kind of the construction and the matchups and kind of that. All right. So starting with Sam, question one. If the miracle mechanic did not exist, would you still play a countertop deck? And if so, why, why not explain? Um, well, as shown by my previous deck history, I definitely would. I would probably be playing either a, a helm build, as we've talked about, or a Stoneforge Mystic, or a possibly like Stoneforge Mystic with Batter Skull and the Sword of the Meat combo. But I like those kind of decks, and I'm not playing in super high-level competitive events very often, so my opinion's kind of different on that. I'd still think they're good. They're good enough for me to play. Perhaps not, you know, the top of the format if there were no miracles. Tomas, if the miracle mechanic did not exist, is Countertop still viable? Um. Somehow it would be viable, but I wouldn't play it, probably. Uh, I would play something with Stoneforge Mystic and Thoughtseize and Snapcaster, maybe. But uh, because the point is that I love Counterbalance, I think it's terrific and it's fantastic in our deck. But it's because Top is very good uh, because of Miracles as well. You know, it has so many possibilities you can do with with the card. And if you don't have the Miracles... It's just not that good, and if you have, if you focus on counterbalance, they have abrupt decay, and then abrupt decay really shines. 
it's not so good against us because we can side it out and still have very strong decks. So I, 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 w I probably I wouldn't play. Okay, Julian. Well, obviously I'm not playing miracles like um, in tournaments right now, but I also wouldn't think that counter chop would be. It would probably be viable, but it wouldn't be a tier one strategy. Not like the way it used to be in around 2009, 2010. And we we went about that earlier, like how it, how it kind of vanished before the the miracle mechanic suddenly came up with uh, Everson Restored. So I, I think it totally wouldn't be viable because people would revert back to playing these dorky mid-rangey decks like, I don't know, Esper, Stoneblade, and, and Merc and Maverick and stuff. And yeah, so I don't think it would be viable anymore. Philip? Yeah, just make it short. I don't think it would be good, and I wouldn't play it because I only play the best deck. All right. Uh, question two. If Counterbalance did not exist... Would the Miracle deck still be viable, and would you play it, Philip? Um, I was actually hoping you would ask someone else so I can pull up a list. But uh, anyways, um, I actually did play Miracles without Counterbalance for some time. Um, if Counterbalance wouldn't exist, I would still play... Well, I would still try to play Miracles. I would, I would have to um, find out whether it's good enough. I'm actually not sure it, it would be, but I would definitely give it a try. Um, I think Counterbalance is too important of a card when it comes to dealing with combo decks and control decks and like creating card advantage that it might actually push Miracles off the throne to be perfectly honest so yeah I guess I guess I guess it would actually abandon Miracles if balance was banned because yeah it would be bad Thomas uh, I I agree with Philip I I you know the point is that the deck is so perfect that any loss would be just uh, just too bad so I don't think it would be good enough Sam uh, as I kind of hinted at, and I wrote most of the earlier questions, uh, I like playing countertop decks, and I play Miracles because it's the best countertop deck, so if Counterbalance didn't exist, it's pretty unlikely that I'd be playing this deck. I'd probably be playing some other really hard control deck, like a straight blue-white uh, Stoneforge Mystic deck. And Julian? Yeah, uh, as Philip mentioned, especially for the combo matchup, you really need something that's permanent-based. To me, the the rule in Legacy is always the slower your deck is, the more you want some, want a permanent that deals with combo. And just having like all these counter spells is probably still gonna be too slow to beat combo. So without counterbalance, you're not in a very good spot, and people probably wouldn't play the deck anywhere as much as they are right now. Excellent. So we all know that Sensei's Divining Top is banned in modern, and whether that's for better or for worse is you know up for debate. But the time constraints have never been an issue in Legacy and Vintage, apparently. Do you agree or disagree about how much time Top takes to use in tournaments? And do you think Top should be banned? So we're going to start with Julian. Um, so in 2008, I think it was right before or after PT, PTFs or PT Berlin, as they called it back then, Top was banned strictly for, uh, the, how did they mention, uh, phrase it? logistical reasons and i think that was okay and i think it would also be okay to ban it in legacy uh if this wasn't to happen i think the other approach is to really call people out on their slow play like if you watch thomas and philip they play at a completely acceptable pace with top for most of the time at least i have never really seen them like be very slow with it but when people are frustrated to to draw against miracles it's partly because they themselves are playing slowly or because the miracles player is also doing really slowly with the top and i think you should consistently 
like quarter charge whenever your opponent goes anywhere near to to what you would consider slow play and i i try to watch the clock and call people out like after 30 to 40 seconds and when you're playing it feels like not very long but if you're watching somebody like checking a top for 30 seconds that's actually quite long so yeah i think it would be justifiable to ban top but if that wasn't to happen and i think it's not going to happen uh we should be much harsher about people um or stricter about people wasting time with it sam uh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I've talked. I think we've talked about this before in ban-related episodes. But yes, uh, the idea, like, uh, we're taking the idea that top is banned in modern because it takes long time from the original modern announcement when modern was just a community cup, uh, not f- form. Uh, no, when when they made modern a community cup format, they made the first. Okay, we're gonna try this to see how it works out before they ever even announced modern would be a real thing. And they said Sensei's Divining Top takes too long to play with. So the first question is, is that just not true in Legacy or Vintage? And I think the reality of it is, this is an excellent example of how Wizards cares a lot less about formats that aren't Pro Tour formats. I think that Counterbalance Top has, or well, Top, but with Counterbalance, has the ability to take just as long in Legacy and Vintage as it does in Modern. I do think that if it were banned, it would be completely reasonable. Obviously, I'm not going to crusade for that. But uh, I think it's unfortunate that that is the reason that they gave for the ban, because then without a rules change, it will never be unbanned, and we will never get to see a counterbalance top deck in Modern. Tomas? Well, I think the the card is banned in Modern because it's insanely powerful. That's, uh, you know, you, you can see that when, when they were starting Modern, maybe they, had, they used this as an argument. But then they had to cut all the cantrips that uh, that were somehow playable because uh, because all the card selection was too powerful. Uh, I think the the problem with the top and generally with miracles is I don't think that many players play miracles. You know, uh, I think because uh, you need to dedicate a lot. I think you have to play it a lot. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons is that you get sort of a automat- you get automatic with the sensei top. Uh, when I played my first big event with Miracles in Ghent, I am I I I I had ten or nine to nine to four. I had four draws in two days of GP, and I think it was certainly because I was not always playing very fast, you know. And uh, in the next GP, I had three draws. You know, my first three GPs, I had more draws than losses. So I think, and it took like <laughs> three years. Yeah. And. And I think now I really, I think I play, I play really fast and I almost never get into time. I get to time like once, twice in a, in a year. But in my, in, in my community, in Prague, Czech Republic, uh, everybody says, oh, he's, he's the last one playing. Of course, Tomáš, he's the slowest player in the world and so on. I, maybe I used to be, but I'm not anymore. And I think that's the problem with Miracles and Top is that um, it takes a long time before you get fast enough with the Top. Philip? So, um, band top. Um, yeah, many people would actually like that, I guess. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't actually think that it should be banned due to time reasons. I could definitely see it being banned because Miraculous is hilariously overpowered and better than everything else. But, um, simply from the time perspective, I think as long as the draw doesn't favor the player making the draw, it's actually somewhat okay. So, lo- looking at my, um, history at GPs, as far as I can remember from all the four GPs I played with Miraculous, I drew once. And this was because my opponent felt like he had to hardcast Emrakul, starting with three lands. So, took 
took took him like 15 minutes or something to actually get there and um but i think as long as the draw doesn't favor literally anybody a gpc it's mostly a loss for both um it shouldn't really be an argument because like miracles wants to win as well other the other deck wants to win so if you if you want to win you gotta play fast on each side and and i still think and i know many disagree if i'm losing and i have the ability to play a game at decent speed i can actually not win or not lose the last game so this was seen on my win and in a gp paris where I played on camera, I played against Buck Delver, and I easily won the first game because auto win and stuff. And in the second, he just brought like Winter Orb, and I had the ability to like go for in three angels and hope that he doesn't have anything, and maybe I win. Or I had the option to like, okay, I will just do nothing and wait until you try to kill me. And so I just sat there, drew my cards, passed the turn until you play a creature, and I killed that creature. Well, it didn't. It he didn't manage to kill me in time, so I won like one to zero. And I don't think that anything like this is actually a problem because that's part of the rules right now. Um, I I'm obviously a big um, proponent of oh opponent I'm sorry big opponent of slow playing and stalling. So I I agree with Julian here that um, it should be easier for judges to like hand out warnings or game losses, match losses, whatever for for playing slowly again and again. But I don't think that time is actually a consideration for dividing top ban. I I kind of have a point on this as well. Having played Miracles, Junk, Nickfit, all of which have contained since the Divining Top, I feel like if you know your deck well enough, and you know what you need to do and what cards you need in particular situations and matchups, I don't think topping needs to take that long. I think physically you can go look at the top three cards. One, two, three. Look, look, look. Rearrange, rearrange, rearrange. Put them back. And I don't think it should take much longer than that. Okay, um, so... Just one quick note, that, that, that's like the time I, I, I take for about three divine top activations. So I, I think that the time you actually explained is super long. Like, if your opponent takes four or five, maybe six, seven seconds for each top, it's getting, it's getting dangerously close. So I can understand topping at this speed against combo, against, I don't know, something that kills you fast. But if you're playing against a grindy matchup, against anything that doesn't, like, die fast... You have to be way faster than what you described. Sure, but I, like I need to be able to verbalize it for the cast, right? Like I. Oh yeah, sure. You've also made an interesting point that uh, there's not a lot of cards that can do what Sensei's Divining Top does, which is give non-blue decks some form of card selection. Uh, your options are basically Sylvan Library in green and top, and if you remove top, you also significantly weaken non-blue decks at the same time. I agree. I just feel like people who are perhaps a little bit more shaky with their selections should speed it up in practice. That was, that's also the argument that uh, Mark Barra Koenig was making when we were discussing it on another podcast, uh, where I was very much in favor of banning top. And then he brought up that, like as I mentioned, there are a lot of non-blue decks that benefit from top, and maybe something else should go, if, if something should go in the first place. And yeah, I think that's a very interesting point because stuff like Nickfit really, really benefits from top a lot. Agreed. So, moving on. How do you construct a Miracles decklist? What goes into constructing a Miracles decklist? Why are cards there and in what numbers? So, I mean, we can pull up kind of any list. I mean, we can pull up... Let's... Philip, I'm sure you have your most recent list at your disposal. Yep. So, if we were to look at your list, we see cards like... Force of Will, we see Swords of Plowshares. 
let's just run through the list of cards and explain to viewers, perhaps who are newer, like why cards are there and in what number. Is that all right? Is okay. That um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Just uh, one thing. My latest list has like one flexible slot. Sure. I, I'm just looking at a regular list now, and we'll just kind of okay. talk about it. Yeah. So. So basically, when constructing miracles, I think the goal should be to have as few cards as possible that do something and fill it up with as much, some would call it air, I would call it cantrips, as you can. So you want to have the highest impact and the best cards for each scenario, but you want to have as little as possible. So if it was possible to construct a miracle deck with just one Raging Goblin as a win condition, I would play just one Raging Goblin as a win condition. So you're actually trying to minimize the cards you have to play, to play at a top level, to play without hindering yourself. So what you basically see is, um, you see between four and five win conditions. That's typically two Entreaty Angels and two or three Chase Demand Sculptor. Um, we are currently going down to two Entreat and two Chase because we are still feeling that we are winning as many matches as we did with three Chase, but cutting one Chase for, and it was um, Dickfruit time this time, uh, it's just the way I construct or reconstruct Miracle decks. It's just like minimizing the cards you actually need and filling it up with as much cards that do something against everything. Like Ponder is never dead, basically. Or Brainstorm for that matter. Sure, so some of the selections are more obvious. So for Brainstorm, obviously something yeah. we want. Uh, for Force Will, obviously something we um, want. No. Really? <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> Funny that you find that you bring that up because that's actually the flexible slot in the most recent um, list. And I know Tomasz would prefer to um, present the list to Four Force of Will here. Am I right? Yes, I think it's better because uh, we always played Force of Will and now we are thinking about not playing. So I think it will be just too confusing. Okay, yeah, let's let's keep it at Four Force of Will for now. Uh, maybe we can add it later. Yeah, let's talk Why? about a, a more general list. Like we're trying to so, explain yeah. the archetype. Yeah, okay, so basically you want 4-4s four for Brainstorm for top. You also want 4 Counterbalance, unless the metagame dictates something different, but it doesn't. Uh, you also want 4 Swords to Plowshers and 4 Terminus, so you can kill stuff. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, that was maybe too fast. So, uh, 4 Ponder for Brainstorm for top are theirs, so you can find stuff. So you can find whatever you need. If you draw these cards in any matchup, you will just cast them and see what's there in your deck. So, what what these cards do is basically they remove the importance of your starting hand. Uh, if you open your hand, it doesn't really matter what you're playing against, because it would mostly be lands and cantrips, so you, you'll, you'll find what you need. This has the downside of being a little slow, maybe, that's why we can't play spell pierce. but it also has the upside of you don't have a bad hand against a bad deck, you don't have a good hand against a bad deck, like, you always do something. Uh, and then you kind of reach out into the blue and the white half of your deck, the blue half is 4-4s four and 4 counterbalance. I heard it's pretty good against um, combo. And also control for that, for, that, for that matter. And the other white half is basically 4 swords and 4 terminals. Um, I couldn't see going less than 4-4 four, four on, on, on these two. Because legacy is still a format of creatures. Um, ridiculously overpowered ones are that. That kill you quickly or generate way too much advantage. So you need those. And then you have basically a few slots left that you have to dictate on win conditions. So 2 in 3 and 2 chase is the minimum that you can play based on our experience. And then you have a few slots left. And I decided to go for 3 Snapcaster, 2 Dick for Time and 1 Counterspell. And 1 Council's Judgment. 
So basically, these are cards that are good against most cards in Legacy. Like Council's Judgment can hit like nearly everything but lands, and Counterspell counters everything but lands. So they have a wide range of options. And Dig for Time is just super cantrip, kind of. So before lists used to play three counterspell, now they seem to be down to two one counterspell. What are your thoughts on that, Tomas? Well, that's if we should speak about the that uh, that extra slot we have, uh, that would be another counterspell. So we would come back to two counterspells main deck. But uh, but so far as the list is, is one counterspell main deck, one counterspell sideboard. Uh, I think it's perfect. Basically, we could cut uh, dig through time to add some counterspell. That would be possible, or that force of will. But I think as it is, it's 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 really perfect and well balanced. So I am uh, I'm happy with uh, one counterspell main deck and one in this board. Now some lists also cut down on snapcasters for a while, and now we seem to be back up to three. I think that's um, for me. Snapcaster is one of the best cards in the deck. Obviously, all cards are fantastic, but Snapcaster allows us to do absolutely terrific things. It's uh, it's just amazing. You know, it allow it allows us to beat twelve post. You just play a turn two and you attack. And I just I just love the card. It's uh, it's one of my favorite cards and it's just amazing. So I think a snapcaster is very important. And often when you counter lock him, it's often win con. You just play kind of snapcaster and you you kill him in six attacks or four at seven attacks. So uh, snapcaster yeah. is absolutely fantastic and. I, I'm. We were we were talking with Philip that if we could add any card in the deck, it would be Snapcaster to four. Ju- but there is no space. Julian. Yeah, because like, oh, sorry. I was gonna say Julian. Yeah. Um, for me, the really interesting part about the new list, and I'm sure we'll later cover that, is uh, in the sideboard there's two rest in peace, and that made me wonder whether or how that interacts with Dixel Chime, like. I mean, against a deck like Buck Diver, I know there's like the sideboard plan of either sideboarding out all counterbalances, not bringing in uh, rest in peace, or bringing in rest in peace and keeping the counterbalances. But I can also see uh, Dick Through Time being very good against, say, Buck Diver. So that's the part that caught really caught my interest. Yes, I, I'm sorry if I can answer this uh, very quick. Basically, we are not bringing rest in peace against Buck Diver anyway. Uh, because we think Snapcaster is very powerful, so uh, so that's not a problem. We basically have rest in peace against like uh, special decks. Uh, we we bring it against Jant, and we bring it because there are it hits many cards there, and we certainly bring it against some dedicated graveyard strategies. But th- this is one of those two cards in the board which are possible to be dropped. But uh, we are so so far we're happy with the two rest in peace, because if you have it against the right deck, it's uh, it's amazing. Philip, how do you feel about Dig Through Time? Um, yeah, so Dig Through Time. Back when we went on, on our journey to the US, uh, we stopped at um, at Prague, and a good friend of Tomasz, he was like, you got to play more Dig Through Time, you got to play more Dig Through Time. And we were like, no, no, um, Free Chase is perfect. It doesn't really matter, but we think Free Chase is better. And we played Free Chase, and we won like close to everything we did. But I still think we were wrong. Um, Dig Through Time is basically... A super cantrip, like it's no win condition, but it's a super cantrip. And what it essentially does better than chase is like allowing you to keep up your mana, keep up whatever you do without tapping out for a four drop. So it's basically worse against everything that like attacks you, like Stoneblade, um, any any non-blue deck. But it's incredibly important 
in the mirror match. It's super important against combo where you really don't want to tap out because you have like Flusterstorm in your hand and stuff. So you need like seven mana before you can cast Chase. Um, it's, su it's super good against Infect because that's a bad matchup or something. I don't know, maybe. Um, like it's good against this. Uh, good against the matchups where you kind of aren't the favorite because you can't be a favorite in the mirror match. You can't be a favorite against um, against Infect and combo is also pretty tough game one because. Yeah, you have like four fours and a few counter balances, and sometimes they are pretty bad against Trontel. So what Dick Time basically does is hatches against a little bit against the faster decks. It's also pretty good against Delver because you can easily play around spell piercing days, which you cannot really do when your when your game plan is chase, which gets hit by lightning bolt. Philip, man, I'm stunned. You totally forgot to mention the biggest advantage and upside of Dick Through Time. It counters Did opposing I? Dick Through Times. It counters Carterhoof Behemoth. <laughs> and that has happened enough times by now. Oh, really? Yeah. I've had it come up like two or three times, and that's too much for me. <laughs> Sam, what are your thoughts on Dig? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of mixed on it because you know obviously it's really good to see that many cards, but especially if you're gonna play like a ponder version where you're gonna have four ponders, four brainstorm, four top snapcasters bringing back some of those cards, jaces, you're gonna see so much of your deck. I'm not sure that the dig really adds enough to it. That's a fair it assessment. Does. But yes, I I understand. But I think great thing is that you can snapcaster the dig through time. That's true. This is one of the few decks that can afford to do that. So looking at the land base, uh, we'll notice that there's usually the average land base looks like 3 Tundra, 2 Valk, 4 Island, 2 Plains, uh, 4 Skulling Tarn, 4 Flooded Strand, and 2 Arid Mesa. So for the people who say 21 lands is too few for a control deck, Philip, what is your response? I did not do the math. But there's one thing that Julian said earlier, you can't argue with the results. Um, the amount of winning that I, Tomas, and Angelo did, like, if it was too few, we wouldn't be winning. I don't know what else uh, I can tell you. Um, yeah, I, I really don't. Would you say <laughs> that the land count is too few if, say, there were no ponder in the deck? 21 lands? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be suicidal. That, that would be unplayable, but... The amount of cantrips and 21 lands has worked out perfectly. And as I said earlier, we want to play as little cards of each... Um, characteristics as possible and this is like we want to play as few lands as possible and 21 is the for what we think right now the um the best number Tomas? yes i i, I agree with philip i we sometimes cannot agree what is the keeper you know one land and what but uh, luckily this deck you know your 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 hand looks like a fetch land uh, like a blue fetch land ponder ponder top or something like that and some other cards and this is keeper even for if you control deck and you you must not miss your land drops so i i'm really happy with the 21 lands and i think it's the perfect number and i and we've been playing 21 lands for quite a long time now i think maybe two years sam your thoughts on the land count i think uh, 21 is probably too few for legends builds but uh, in the Ponder uh, decks, I kind of find it interesting that people are making this argument because the idea of replacing, essentially replacing lands with a bunch of cantrips is really old. Uh, essentially, you're talking about the Xerox principle, which like I just Googled and I found an article from 2005 that says, quote, for every four one to two mana cantrips, you can remove two lands. 
And that's essentially what you've done here is by adding these ponders and then you've also got your brainstorms and your top kind accounts. I totally get why you would only run 21 lands and I find it really interesting that uh, a, such an old concept, there are people who still want more lands in a deck that's cantripping as much as Ponder Miracles is cantripping. Julian? Well, I think, as Philip said, you can't argue with the results. If, if it actually was an issue, we, or what, what do I say, we, Philip and, and Tomasz, would probably adjust the deck list. So I don't think there's a problem with that. If you personally feel like you're not drawing enough lands, you first of all have to ask yourself, are you playing enough? Like, if you're only playing very few matches with the deck, uh, variance is going to hit much harder than it were, like, if you were to play, let's say, 50 matches a month or something. You could also argue, like, insufficient shuffling, uh, your sleeves, whatever. There's a bunch of different factors. I would say trying it online, which I think that's where you're going to see because you can play so many more games, might be the place where you can actually flesh out how many lands you actually want to have. I do want to point out real quick, actually looking a little further into this, the idea of Xerox in uh, Dex starts uh, in 1997. Dear Lord. So this is quite an old idea. Good to know. So I was like three, three years back then. <laughs> I uh, I think we can talk. We could talk about sideboards for a while. So I think I actually kind of want to move away from that and talk about that when we talk about matchups. So uh, Philip brought up a good point before the cast is talking about what's a mulligan and what's a keep. So Philip, do you want to kind of talk about that? Yeah, that's one of the um, few topics that I and Tomas can't really agree on on most parts because what I think about mulligan and keeping is very very simple. And let's just don't mulligan if you have a land. And now some some um, some random guy will come up and tell me, what if you have planes and triple ponder? Okay, then you mulligan. But as soon as you can cast your first ponder brainstorm atop, you just don't mulligan. Like, at all. If you have, like, tundra, ponder, and five miracles, maybe. But if you have tundra, ponder, and three miracles, and two random cards, keep it. Keep it. Just do. Tomas? Yes. Uh, the, the, because the, the point is that... Uh, uh, when we were talking about enough lands, imagine you have top, basic, and fetch land. This is this is whatever is the rest. This is already perfect because you play top, you look in your upkeep, you draw cards, whatever it is. Then you play fetch land, then you look again, and if you don't like it, you can fetch and look again. So you see awful lot of cards in just the opening rounds, and that is that is perfect. But the trouble is, and that's what we can't agree on with Phil, Philip, is that uh, will you keep land and top? And random cards, no, po no, 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 no uh, cantrips, and I don't keep this. Uh, that's, and I that's... keep every single one of them. Yes, I wouldn't keep it because you play top, and then will you look in upkeep? If there is no land, you are just so screwed. Um, it's so I don't, I don't think this is worth the risk. On the other hand, if you have top and six lands, and you don't play, uh, it's and there are some fetch lands probably. I think this is this is all right. Sam, I mean, uh, I'm pretty much agreed on the idea that if you have enough cantrips and the mana to cast them, it doesn't really matter if you don't have the stuff you want to do because you're going to find that stuff really early. Uh, obviously, sideboard games that's a little different, but you know, like like they're saying, if you have a top and a couple lands or a couple ponders and a couple islands, you're going to find everything else you need, which also means you're going to keep a lot of opening sevens. Philip. Yeah, so take a guess how often I mulliganed the GP in the jersey. Zero. At the whole... T well, yeah, yeah. I, I did mulligan a single time in day one, day two, and top eight. Um, I, I mulliganed once at GP Paris. 
But this was just like seven non-lands. Which is kind of funny. Or seven lands. Even though just... it was cheapy Paris, you money guy only once. I think this only Sam, Thomas, and, and Matt will understand. <laughs> the the old Paris mulligans, sir. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that here in Miracles, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the mulliganing is actually relatively simple. We can discuss this one land top, you know, hand. But otherwise, basically, almost everything else is a keeper. You know, I must say, since I'm so much like a miracle guy, uh, when I play some other formats, I don't realize that you have to sometimes mulligan hands because you need some cards in the opening hand. I'm not sure if you understand what I mean. I, I just I just see spells and lands, and I'm like, okay, let's play it out. And in miracles, <laughs> it works because you always find what you want, but it doesn't work with some other decks. So this is this is this is. This is, I must say, it's almost not magic. As magic. <laughs> That's what, what I've been saying is. for a long time. <laughs> I'm, I'm having the, the very same experience right now testing for the Pro Tour. Like, I should keep this in Miracles, I guess. So I do. Oh, wait, I, I lose now. Maybe I should have Mulligan. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, that's why, that's why, I'm sorry, that's why I said before that with Miracles, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're winning, it's not really like luck. It's just, it's just there. You know, you have the choices, and if you choose the right choices... Uh, you win, uh, but you don't have it with other maybe formats and with other decks. That's why I like Legacy so much. Perfect. So moving on, there are some things called matchups. <coughs> Excuse me, that we'd like to go over. So if you, ha- I, I'm kind of looking at the decks to beat, and you know, kind of what we should talk about in the relevant matchups. There are hundreds of decks in Legacy. You know, there are ten that are really good. There are probably another ten to twenty that are fine, and then there's a lot of stuff that could you might see once in a while. So, top decks as of right now, looking in the deck to beat section of MTG the Source, are Miracles, Death and Taxes, Omnitel, Blade, Elves, Ant, Team America, Rugdelver. If we go to MTG top eight, you'll see that Grixis has been putting up results, uh, and there's a few other lists in there. So. Let's kind of go over them one by one and kind of discuss maybe the matchups, how they kind of flush out, how they play out, who's favored, what cards would you want in a sideboard against these matchups, what would you want to bring out, what cards are bad, etc. How does that sound, guys? Perfect. Sure. So, first we'll start with the most awkward one, the Miracle Mirror. So It's my favorite. So starting with Tomas. Yeah, please, please say take Tomas, not me. I've never been in the Mirror match. <laughs> <laughs> what are the good cards to see? What, do you, what are you trying to do in the Mirror? Um... Uh, well, in the mirror, it's it's very it's uh, simple. You want to resolve counterbalance, and you want to prevent your opponent from having counterbalance. That card is just the most important card, and everything else is not so relevant. You know, so you can hear that top is important and so on. But actually, especially after the sideboard, all cards are very good, all of them. So most important for me is counterbalance. So when it comes to, um, in the first game, it's difficult because if you draw too many white cards, you probably lose. Uh, after sideboard, uh, I really like the matchup very much because it's very like, skill intensive. And, and I must say most players are not, don't really know what to do. So I told you most important is to resolve counterbalance. Uh, second very important thing is don't counter top. You almost never want to counter it, in my opinion, because you have to save the, the counters for other cards. And, uh, and uh, when it comes f- to sideboarding, you, will be, you want to side out all the white cards, basically. You know? Sometimes we can discuss whether you want to keep one entry or not. It depends how your sideboard looks like. 
and you can side out maybe planes or even planes or even two planes you can side out because you don't really need it you know uh, you don't have to worry about wasteland so um, just uh, basically you want to be fetching for the dual lands so just starting with dual land and ponder or something like that is is pretty good uh, and uh, red elemental blast is, uh, is 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 the card you really control the matchup you prevent his counterbalance from resolving and so on so that's uh, that's that's about the matchup I'm not sure if uh, there's anything I for I forgot. Um, not really. You mentioned the most important stuff. Like super important is don't counter top. That's like, like people. I mean, like if you're days and spell piece at top. I mean, won't happen in the middle with days. But um, if you counter a top, if you force a top, it's like, it's like so so bad. Like nine out of ten times, it's unbelievable. Anyways, back to the middle match. Um, you mentioned that counter balance is key. That that's that's super true. Um, don't counter top. Uh, when 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 it comes to sideboarding, you really want to cut on the planes. Um, I'm currently cutting both planes because they don't really do anything besides um, activating top. Basically, uh, you don't want white cards, but there can be an argument. But you can make an argument for keeping council's judgment. This really does depend on your very configuration of the sideboard. Sometimes you can afford to keep one and three. With some sideboards, you just can't. Additionally, it comes down to which variant you're playing against. If you're playing against, like, four Ponder Miracles, the, the good list with the good sideboard, kind of, you don't really want to treat because we are bringing, like, two, maybe even three Flusterstorms, and you don't want to fight um, a, a deck with Flusterstorms with Infinity Angels. But when you move into, like, Stoneblade Miracles, or if you suspect that your opponent will bring, like, in, uh, Betascal and Stormfish Mystics, you really, really want to keep at least one Entreat in your deck so you can deal with that. So you really got to take a close look game one, like what variant are they playing? Is it like Ponder, 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 or are they have like one Caracas? Or whatever are, whatever the indications are, you have to like think about what, you, what you're playing against when doing the boarding. Yes, I would, I would say the most potent weapon in the mirror is the Stoneforge Mystic. Because uh, that's the car. we can't answer it with uh, Red Elemental Blast. Otherwise, we can answer everything with Red Elemental Blast, and he can uh, drop it as soon as turn two. So it can be it can be very dangerous. Uh, depends how many he has. If he only has two, uh, you can maybe even leave the white cards, except for Council Judgment, out, and you will still somehow deal with it. You will somehow champ and maybe bounce it with Jace, but. Um, if he has more, you probably need to keep some terminus in in the in the in the deck. Probably. Yeah, uh, I, I find it interesting. So you're saying don't counter top, which I disagree with a little bit. I kind of think it depends on where you are in the game. Uh, can we talk a little bit oh, though yeah, about? Oh yeah, totally. So we've talked about you know of we, we counter can. top and or we don't counter top and we want to counter counterbalance. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the middle of the game when maybe you know? They've got a counterbalance in the top, and you've got a counterbalance in the top. And how do you break through that and uh, and secure your win? I guess. Oh, well, it uh, obviously it's after the board, so you have some cards. You have engineered explosives. You have um, um, you have uh, council's judgment. So there are your answers how you can destroy his counterbalance. Uh, usually, you 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 try to play. Uh, Vendillion click at the end of turn he, it's quite likely he won't have something for free on top you can see his uh, hand you can take something from it and you can actually kill him with Vendillion click 
and he might not be able to kill it because uh, presume you have something for one and two on top, he has for one and two on top, so that's that's the way. When you both have counterbalance, force of will is getting extremely powerful because that's one of the few spells that still does something, uh, so you can stop his crucial spell. And basically my suggestion when you are in this position, you want to find Council's Judgment, Vendelion Click, uh, you want to find Dig Through Time or Jace, or some answer for the for his counterbalance. That's, that's, that's yeah, the idea. From a strategic um, point of view, you want to like do something at the end of your opponent's turn, make them believe it's important, like make them believe the Snapcaster and Brainstorm is super important, make them tap out as much as they can, then untap and fight about their stuff with what, what you got left. If you don't have anything, well, then you're going to keep stalling, but that's what you kind of want to do. You want to start with Click, maybe, Snapcaster, Brainstorm, things that aren't relevant when it comes to dealing with counterbalance, but that are important enough to like make him do something, make him spend his mana on spinning, make him cast his counterspell or whatever. And you make a really interesting point there about uh, kind of putting things out there to make them exhaust their resources. And I know I've won a lot of games in the mirror match where you just kind of play a one, they counter it. Okay, play a two. All right, I'll tap, spin. Okay, I counter it. Okay, play a one again. All right, tap, spin, I'll counter it. Until, you know, they have no mana left and, you, okay, here's my threat. You're bombed. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, and that's that's what. Sorry. Uh, like I know one example I've I've had of that is uh, if you have somehow confirmed that they don't have a one directly on top of their deck, and they say fetch at the end of the turn, go all right, I'll red blast your counterbalance. So either you can lose your counterbalance or you can lose your top. And I think there's a lot of plays in the mirror match. Like we said, it's there's a lot of stuff where you just kind of have to find a very tiny chink in their armor, and that's what can get you through to finish out the game. That's exactly I how absolutely. I lost my counterbalance yesterday against Joe Lossard when I played Miracles of Magic online. He got me that way. Yes, but you know, that's, that's something we can't talk about, all of these little things. You have to play and you have to somehow get, get used to it. But uh, yes, I really agree. And by the way, uh, I agree with you, Matt. That's why we say don't counter uh, top, because you don't have enough resources to counter uh, all the other things that actually really matter. Okay. You know, so keep you can have him have, let him keep top, and you can counter all the spells that matter. But especially after sideboard, he will only draw cards that matter even without top. So I think uh, that's how I would see it. So do we feel comfortable uh, in having discussed the mirror? I'm good. <laughs> I'm ready to move to the next one. Elves. Yes, I think. Julian, what is your take on the matchup from the elves' perspective? Uh, Get wrecked, well, nerd. Sucks. <laughs> um, I mean, even though it sucks because it's a pain in the ass to, to play against, it's actually not as bad as I might sometimes make it seem. Like, you can definitely get away with, like, beating them rather often. But, yeah, the the thing is, it's 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 you have to make a general decision. Do you want to play it, like, grindy? Or are you just trying to go for the win as soon as possible? And yeah, what do you I find wins more often? Um, Pre-board, it's always trying to go for it as soon as possible because you can't really expect to win the long game because you only have like one card that beats counterbalance, and that's uh, kind of shaky. Um, Post-board, I really like the the grindy approach. Like in the past, I used to side out all glimpse and rely on natural order. Uh, things have changed. I now side out all natural order and sometimes even two senate, even though they're pretty good against them. 
but because of stuff like Containment Priest and Graft Digger's Cage, which Philip and Tomas actually aren't playing right now, so maybe the Senate stay at four again. Um, now I'm going more for the grindy approach, so if you want to grind them out, having a card like Natural Order is just like Boomer Bust. I've had the experience that when you go for Natural Order, and it either resolves, and then they handle whatever you get, or they counter it, you're falling significantly behind by tapping, basically tapping out in your main phase. Um, and that's like contradictive to playing a grindy approach. So for now, I'm I'm siding in like two pitting needles and a nine rods, and yeah, I also have four four chokes, which are really not intended for a miracles matchup. Like I lost my fair share of games against miracles where they went like, yeah, okay, you got choke, use top with my uh, broad planes, terminus terminus with my planes, lose an island every now and then, and eventually kill choke and kill you. So I mean, yeah, it's more I like agree. splash damage against them. But since this isn't, isn't like an elves episode, I think we should like look more onto it from the Merkel side of things. So, Tomas, how do you feel about this matchup? I think it's uh, like ninety-seven percent for miracles. I think. I think. Laughing now. No, no, I, I, think, I must say that uh, Julian is obviously one of the best elf players I know, and it's uh, it's always uh, great to play against him and. And it's, I'm not saying it's like, uh, I, d I didn't say 100%, uh, but I think uh, it's so, so good for miracles. Well, I guess that, it's possible, uh, like, it's not 100 because, like, you could have a stroke while you're playing, right? And you can finish the match. No, but I mean, I mean, in the first game, he has to really go for fast, fast one, but it's difficult because if he goes natural order, you force it. Or I, I'm not talking that you have top and floating terminus, which is something they just can't beat. Okay. In the second game is bit. Sorry. Of course <laughs> you did. Of course you did. I know, but I'm not sure who was the player. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and in the second game, it's obviously more tricky because they have maybe pithing needle for your top, which is tough. They have discard. They might have choke. Uh, they have some other cards. But you also have uh, I, uh, all the uh, when we were in America, we had containment priest, which we obviously didn't play because of elves, because elves is already a very good matchup. But it had such a powerful splash damage against this deck; it was just uh, unbelievable. And I remember we played Julian in that uh, in that uh, daily in uh, uh, in Brooklyn. Oh yeah, at the shop. And yes, at the shop. And I and I I I won two one. But uh, Julian beat me with Pendlehaven in the second game. <laughs> I just couldn't beat the card because he only had one elf of every time. He decayed all my uh, counterbalances and then he had two, three attacker. And I couldn't, because that's amazing. He's attacking with elves. You source to plosures, snapcaster, source to plosures, block, and he has nothing. And you don't even need terminus. So just want to make it short. I think it's a terrific matchup. And if you play correctly, it's, it's very, very hard to lose. I would say. So this is this is really nightmare for Al. I agree. Like I think the natural order plan is hard to hard to push because you lose a guy and if it doesn't resolve you're so far behind. It's different like cuz I think in show and tell matchups you can sometimes just play show and tell and you know hopefully your opponent counters it and you can have a blank show and tell to draw counter spells but with natural order it's not like you can just go natural order I don't sacrifice a guy until it resolves or something. I think there's more play there, but that's not the case. Yes, and the problem with natural order is that you can have force on some counter or counterbalance with Jason on top or just top and, uh, and uh, terminus on top, and even if it resolves, you're still killing him. Yeah. Philip? Yeah, it's, let's keep it short. It's super easy. 
Sam? Uh, I have one question because uh, there is there is a few problematic cards that elves can still beat miracles with. What is the A number one threat that you are focused on like using your swords to plowshares on rather than waiting for them to build up a team and terminus? What's the one thing you definitely kill on the can, spot? Can I take a guess? Yeah. Um, well, um, I, I don't think they would kill it on the spot, but every time I play, it feels like the good Miracles players really want to source the plowshares my Dryad Arbor because that's the most pesky, annoying creature in the deck. Well, because it keeps coming back yeah. with terminus. Yes, it yes it does it does coming back, but I think it, another card would be Wirewood Symbiote. Yeah, that was my guess. Yeah, these two basically. I uh, I was gonna say Symbiote is the number one for their combo matchup, and then uh, I will frequently also end up swordsing maybe a little later, you know, not just on the spot, but Deathrite Shaman because you might spend a lot more time than you expected trying to find your answer, and in that time they could have done a lot of two uh, two damage at a time to you. Okay. So, do we feel good moving on? Sure. Absolutely. Death and Taxes, starting with Philip. Uh, death and Taxes is interesting. Um, it's, it, it's, it's not as easy as the most matchups in Legacy are. It's, what, I, what I don't like about Death and Taxes is that it brings the variance factor that we try to like ignore or mitigate as much as we can with camps and stuff. It brings it back to the table because like they got turn one. If a while, do we have force or not? That's basically two different games. It's you have to you have to game against Devon Texas when they have if a while, and you have to game against Devon Texas when they don't have if a while. If they don't have if a while, you're actually playing against. I don't know people would hate me for it. Um, mono white weenie. It's super easy. They don't. They they can't do anything. They they're losing to everything, and yeah, it's a very good matchup if they don't have if a while. But if they have if a while, it's getting incredibly um difficult to like maneuver around it. Um having Eva Wild allows them to mess with our mana with Wasteland and Richard on board. It allows them to um do all these dirty tricks with Flicker Wisp and stuff. So if they have Eva Wild, it's definitely a very hard matchup. It's probably even favoring his miracles if they actually do manage to resolve one. So Sam, what are your thoughts? Like you've kind of implied, I think it's a really weird matchup. Um you definitely, yeah, you want to counter the turn one Aether Vial if they have it. But they've got so many plans of attack that it's it's hard to just say this is how you play this matchup. Uh, generally, for me at least, it's, you know, find their biggest threats and eliminate them. Uh, don't let them get a batter skull into play because the game is going to go long. They're going to be able to bounce it, replay it, bounce it, replay it. But uh, I, don't, I can't speak a whole lot on this matchup just because there are so many ways that it could go that it's hard to just give, you know, generalized rules for this uh, this matchup. Tomas? Yeah, one thing, uh, one thing if I may, I'm sorry. I, I played against Mikkel Bonda back at one of the Bastard of Moxons and I, I won more games than he expected me to and his remark from a different Texas side was, you play more patiently than most medical players. So what he kind of um, saw with, when we were facing this matchup was that I would let him beat me down as slow as possible before pulling the trigger on Terminus. Um, yeah. You force him in. You're, you're, you're forcing. Him you're forcing him into an increasingly awkward position as he has to overextend into that Terminus. Uh, yeah, and I'm 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 also not Terminusing when I can, so because I'm Terminusing when I have to. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the difference here. Tomas, I I think the most important thing in this matchup is, uh, and obviously it plays some role with the other matchups, but I think it's extremely. Big in this one, 
and that's uh, how good is the player uh, because I don't really know many like, I, very very good death and taxes players it seems to me that in death and taxes if you make like small mistake you you blow it away and you can't come back you know well, well here you can always have terminus or something like that and you can somehow come back to the game but uh, not so much with death and taxes in my opinion so it's very important how good is the player, how can he use his Rishadan ports, how he can really make your life miserable. Uh, I agree with Philip that um, top is very important, uh, very important card. Uh, but again, it depends how they use it. Basically, you want to play your top, you want to keep on um, uh, land drops, you try to prevent him from getting sort of fire and ice, because that's a threat. The other equipments are not so bad because they just swing, they just de give deal damage. But that one draws in cards. So you want to prevent him from that. You want to be aware of uh, mother runes because... But it's okay because after first terminus your swords to plosures suddenly mean a lot. Uh, and then you have enough lands, you, you go for entry and they usually can't do anything about it and just kill them. That's at least my experience. So I think... Uh, I always, want, I, w I always would like to play this matchup for Miracles, uh, but it's one of those difficult matchups, particularly if you know, if your opponent know what is he doing, and if he's packing uh, Cataclysm. Uh, I hate that card. Jewish. That's why we hear, that's why we have to keep Force of Will after sideboard in this matchup, just because of Cataclysm, because that card just, just kills us and there is no comeback. Yeah, that's what I want to talk, to talk about, like the, the beauty of the card, Cataclysm. Because it like forces a kind of strategic shift for miracles. Like now they really have to keep in the the philosophers because otherwise they they will be blown out by cataclysm that also destroys chase. So yeah, that that's like from an outside viewer that's always like what's super interesting to me to see how people sideboard. So what are the best cards to bring in or to have in your sideboard against death and taxes? So Philip, um, the best card basically is one of my all-time favorites, but. We sadly cannot play it. Salt Elemental. I, I really love the color. I, I bought it against everything. Against Threshold, against Miracles Combo. Uh, but yeah, um, the cards we kind of want is Explosives, Judgment, and Weather. That's like, we want to deal with as many things that's like artifact-based as possible while still having um, applications against creatures if we need to, like Explosives and Judgment. They can. They are basically there to deal with Evil Violent Equipment, but if we are in a in a hinge, we can still like kill creatures with it. So yeah, um, we don't. Our standard cyber doesn't really have anything good against different decks. We just have this one, one, one explosives, one disenchant, and one judgment because they're good against pretty much everything. But yeah. Julian, do you want to list some cards that are good against miracles from the Death in Texas perspective? Um, Besides Cataclysm. <laughs> what I kind of like is when they have like Ratchet Bomb and you can spot a player who is very aware of what's going on in the game when he just randomly plays a Ratchet Bomb on an empty board because he knows that end of turn and treat the angels is, is an actual threat that might kill him. So sometimes people just play it and put it to two to kill counterbalance when they don't even realize that miracles would probably side out counterbalance. But just playing it on an empty board for zero when the opponent could, like over the course of the next couple of turns, be going for Terminus, uh, for, for Terminus, for Entreat the Angels, is like a sign that you are really aware of what's going on. And that's something that people should like look into. Like, am I going to die to, to, to Entreat the Angels over the next couple of turns? And is this a good spot to resolve Ratchet Bomb? I agree. So Putting, yeah. It puts them down, it puts the Miracles player down an alley where they're not able to Entreat if they don't have, say, Disenchant for that explosives. And it puts them on, say, Jace or something else. 
which is a much easier plan of attack, especially for the Death and Taxes player to try and deal with. Tomas? Uh, well, I, I agree with uh, with everything that has been uh, that has been said. Um, um, yes, I, I I think it's clear with the sideboarding. I also love Sulfur Elemental. That's an amazing card. And and but I want to say that that obviously it can be tough. I'm not saying we always draw perfectly. You know, they can uh, they they can pithing needle the top, and suddenly we are in a very very hard spot. Uh, they can they can destroy some of our lands. Um, I think it's a, or we we just slam Jace. They have Vile on two. You brainstorm and they put uh, Spirit of the Labyrinth. So there are some nightmare situations in this matchup, and it's certainly very interesting. Sam, uh, sideboard still, yeah, yeah. Um, wear tear is I think the the big one that uh, I would be playing. Uh, if you have clicks that are not main, that's another one that can be really good because, like I said, uh, keeping them from having an equipment is. Uh, it's not going to win you the game, but it's going to keep you from losing the game quickly. Other than that, you're pu- you're probably pulling out so much stuff. You you kind of got to put a lot of stuff in for just value, you know, uh, additional removal or sweepers if that's in your board. But as I said, it's it's such a weird game plan. A lot of times, uh, I just have to kind of you know gut feeling what I want to play against Death and Taxes because there's so many different ways to build that deck that you might be playing against something that's very different than uh, than the stock list. Like, uh, you might be playing against someone who's still got Mangara. <laughs> uh, just one thing. Uh, now, in our list, we actually don't play Werther because we have only two Volcanics. And against decks like Death and Texas, it can be really tricky to have just two Volcanics. So we have Disenchant. Uh, there's a fringe thing that you can uh, you can kill Spirit of the Labyrinth with Werther. So you can destroy Artifact. That's actually why we are bringing it. And by the way, you can do that. But uh, Disenchant seems overall better if you only have two Volcan. Excellent. So, moving on. Uh, Mono Blue Omnitel. That's basically... I think Mono Blue Omnitel is the second best deck in Legacy right now. It's It's been pretty good when Treasure Cruise was around. Now Treasure Cruise is gone. Now Mainboard Red Blasts are gone. But they still have Dick time. So this deck is insanely powerful right now. And if Miracles wasn't a thing, I would actually... I would actually play that because it's just just so good against most things. Um, the games against Metaclus are pretty pretty boring, to be perfectly honest. It's just they cantrip, they cast a shrine tell, you show them what you've got. If they've got more than you, you lose. Um, yeah, it's it's frustrating to play against it. It's boring, but it's incredibly good. And your your game plan on game one is just hope that I don't have a good hand and that counterbalance locks them from their cantrips because you just don't have enough pressure to force them to going in the, into the combo early and you don't have enough permission to win the long fight if they have four, uh, four dig through time which they're resolving again and again and again. Uh, it's get, it gets way, way, way better post-board when you have like three red blasts, three flusterstorms and Vandalian clicks that provide the pressure needed. So yeah, pre-bit is pretty bad, and post-bit is getting really, really good. Julian, and you? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. And you, you really want to bring things that deal with um, defense grid because you don't want to get caught without any answer in the deck. So yeah. Yeah. So I totally agree with Philip that uh, Mono Blue Omnitel, first of all, is the very best way to build Omnitel or any kind of sneak and show these days. 
And Sakna of All Death is like probably the second best deck in Legacy. At least on Magic Online, we've been seeing it a lot. And it's mostly the sole sneak and show or the sole show and tell deck that actually wins a lot these days. Um, what's interesting to me is that because of what the meta looks right now, we don't really see a lot of Wastelands. Like, speaking from a Magic Online perspective, uh, Grixis Delver or Grixis Pyromancer is a deck that's played a lot that usually doesn't play Wasteland. And. It also, outside of four cabot therapies, attacks with mostly Flusterstorms and Forcefuls and what have you. And because of that, Mono Blue Omnitel these days usually plays Busichu. Like, they sometimes play Busichu in the main, they pl or at least play additional copies after sideboarding. So that's why I think it's kind of interesting that Philip says that the matchup gets better after sideboarding. Um, because those those uh, Omnitel people, they were aware that there's Flusterstorm and there's more Red Elemental Blast, so they probably can't really win uh, enough games to, to justify like trying to win against counters, so they're incorporating Busichu these days. And it would be interesting for me to hear from you guys what you think about that. And well, I mean, obviously it's very fringe. The deck is not played a lot in paper, and not everybody's adopting Procedure, so I don't think you would like put a dedicated hate for Procedure in the sideboard, but how would you approach the overall matchup if you know that your opponent has access to Procedure? And for everybody listening who doesn't know what Procedure is, it's a land that comes into play tapped, and um, when you tap it for mana, it pre you lose two life, or you pay two life, and the next, or the instant or sorcery that you play with it is uncountable. Yes, um, uh, Angelo Tadei, our friend from Italy, who's also playing Miracles, uh, he told me that a lot of people were packing this even in Sneak and Show uh, just to be just to battle him because he always beat them even though it's supposed to be a bad matchup. I must say when when they when they have Boseju in that Omniscience, even if they resolve that Sneak uh, that uh, Show and Tell and they put Omniscience into play which is obviously very powerful, it's still not the end of the world because your hand is probably uh, full of counters and you can, I don't know, disenchant in response. I'm not sure. I think you can still play. You can uh, bla blast it in the response or something. You can destroy it. So I think you can still have the game. I think more problem is, but obviously it's much more f um, unstable if they if they have uncountable uh, uncountable. Uh, show and tell and they put sneak attack and they put, put Grizzlebrand or uh, Emrakul into play and they uh, they attack you. I think this is really that absolutely kills us and we can't come back from it. But I think against Omniscience, Mono Blue, I think uh, we it's not uh, auto loss, but it's auto loss if they do what I what I've just described. So um, it's difficult. If I see they have it, I probably focus and I try to counter their uh, their cantrips uh, or something like that. Um, especially against sneak attack and against omni omniscience mono blue i think we still have the game even if they resolve show and tell maybe i'm missing something there's uh, based on my experience there's like two ways you can approach this matchup and this really depends on when you know that they are having procedure if if you like you know them personally you know the list you know that they have like three or maybe even four procedure postboard then you have the option of going like all aggro but you really have to do this while you can't just count the brace them here and there if you decide to, like, say, I don't fight over show until I'm, like, beating down, you really have to counter all the um, the cantrips and stuff, and you have to, like, snapcast on ponder if you don't have anything to do, because you need this pressure going. You need click and snapcaster to start bringing the beats. Um, but if you don't know whether they're playing Bosejo, and this is the typical tournament setting, so this is how I would approach in, like, a GP or something, 
I would actually do the, what Thomas described earlier. If they if they go like on turn nine, if they play Poseidon on turn ten, they have the uncountable Shurantel. Just f um, focus on destroying omniscience in response to whatever they're doing with your uh, yeah all your red blasts, all your you still have disenchant. You may you maybe even have um, space for one judgment depending on the sideboard. So there's basically these two um, routes and play against unknown. I would not go super aggressive on cantrips, but if you know that they're that they're geared up for it, um, it's definitely a valid move. Sam, uh, that's pretty much covered it. You know they're not going to be able to besage you every single spell they play in a turn. So, and they they're not going to be able to besage you all the cards that matter in a single turn. So if if they besage you, you just get the other stuff that matters. I'm not super concerned about it unless you know somehow I've already run out of counter spells and I don't have a counterbalance on board. All right. I feel like the the good cards we kind of already talked about for them. I mean, they bring in defense grid, possibly Baseyu. Uh We have Red Elemental Blast. We have Wear Tear or Disenchant. Vendillion Cleek is is good. It's there's, also there's worth noting that they're probably playing Cunning Wish. So what they do sideboard does not matter as much to them since they can just you know run a bunch of one ofs in their sideboard if they run and Cunning Wish for the most important of them, such as Wipe Away. Exactly. So do we feel comfortable moving on? Sure. Uh, blade control. So this is kind of lumped together. Patriot blade, uh, more Esper control blade. <laughs> Blue white X Stoneforge Mystic. Exactly. So starting with Sam, how do you feel about this matchup? Um, this is again kind of similar to Death and Taxes in that uh, their equipment is not going to like you want to keep their equipment off the board. Uh, it's not going to win you the game to do so, but it is going to keep you from losing. So. Uh, that would be anything from removing uh, Stoneforge Mystic before they get a chance to put something in play, uh, out of the sideboard, wear, tear, disenchant on the batter skull when they don't have the ability to block it. Uh, other than that, I think it's kind of similar to uh, to playing against the Mirror Match in that a lot of the blue-white uh, Stoneforge decks are going to be on somewhat similar plans of control the game, control the game, control the game, find a win condition. Tomas? I think we have to we have to distinguish which uh, which deck we're playing. Are we talking about like Jeskai Blade? Yes. Like a, a blue white red. Yes. That's what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, I think this it um, it's a fair matchup, I, but I I think it's still fine for uh, for miracles. Um, uh, as Sam said, we don't really want their equipment be on on the battlefield or on, on in the play. But I think most important is to understand that we can maybe take some hit with uh, with better skull. We don't have to freak out. Uh, also depends whether they are the, like the aggressive one with Delver or without it. And uh, we want to establish counterbalance log, which is pretty good. And we can. And the good thing is that we just terminus everything away. They. They don't have stifles, so I feel I feel pretty confident with this uh, with this matchup. Definitely pre-board. After sideboard, it can be a bit more difficult as they have more red elemental blasts. They have uh, they have, they have maybe meddling mages, uh, cards like that. But I think this matchup it uh, seems seems all right. We we bring uh, classic destruction against the artifacts and enchantments against their equipment. Uh, I think death and taxes is is harder. All right, Philip. Um, yeah, so a short anecdote to describe how I feel about this matchup at, at GP New Jersey. Whenever somebody asked me how I did, I was like, auto win. 
And this basically meant I, I played and won against either Delver or Stonefish Mystic. So I don't... Um, you can build you can, you can build Asper Control that it um, totally crushes Miracles, but the way people are building Stoneblade right now, um, they're just out of any contention of seriously messing with Miracles in any way. Um, yeah, it's super good matchup. You have everything you, you want. They're just strictly inferior. Okay. Uh, because we're nearing on two hours... <clears throat> I think what we want to do is maybe tackle two more kind of major archetypes and then probably close out. So I think we want to focus on Rug Threshold and then BGX as kind of an overall archetype. So starting with Tomas and talking about Rug Rug Delver. Oh, um, Rug Delver is uh, is really challenging matchup. It's uh, it's really fantastic, and if you're playing against good player, there are some of the best games you can have. Uh, at some point, people were not playing Stifles, then the matchup was basically a joke. Uh, but with the Stifles, it's very, it can be, it's very, very tricky. So we have to remember how to play, uh, how, to, when to fetch, and so on. But usually, the best strategy for them is to keep Stifles for our miracles. So that's very important to understand. Uh, unlike, let's say, that blue, white, red. Uh, counterbalance is almost end of the game for them, so that's that's the good thing. Uh, on the other hand, the stifle is really big problem. They also have uh, nimble mongoose, which we can't uh, sort to plosure. We can't effectively block it with snapcaster, so it can be it can be very very difficult, you know, against uh, against this deck. Uh, I used to play the deck a lot uh, before. In past, it was the best deck uh, before Ghent in Amsterdam. That time, it was the best deck, and I. I, it's it's it was really great. One one thing we have to be afraid from the board is one card, uh, uh, sulfuric vortex. That's a card that he has nothing. You're on 14 life. You have counter top. He plays vortex. You have no answer and you die. Seriously, you die in seven rounds or six rounds. It's uh, it's horrible. So that's a card we have to be aware. And sometimes in the main main deck they play one Sylvan library. If they get it through, it can be also extremely difficult to, to win and come back. Especially if we are sorts to plowshering their Tarmogoyce and they are drawing some extra cards. So that's my that's my look on the on this matchup. Uh, you have to play, you have to respect days and and stifle. Philip. Um so I've been I've been testing actually Canadian Threshold in the last two weeks. Or maybe yeah, something about two weeks. I mean like it's inferior to Miracles, but I wanted to switch it up and learn something new. And yeah, so the misconceptions about Miraclis and Canadian Threshold are generally most Delver decks. You don't try to mana screw um, Miraclis if you have Stifle, you just don't. It, it it doesn't and will not work like 9 out of 10 times. Stifle is such an important counter when it comes to negating the really important spells that are in 3D Angels and Terminus, that you really don't want to waste them on lands where they can easily dig out of it if they have top. Like, if they, if they have top, there is no way you're countering a fetch land. If they don't have top and you have a hand that, it's, that is capable of totally cutting them off, okay, do so. But generally, keep your stifles for something else. Um, you really want to hold back your lands. You really want to have good brainstorms. You don't want to throw your brainstorms away in order to do something aggressively because if you if you do that you will not be able to keep up with Miracles in the late game but if you play accordingly and keep your stifles you actually have enough um, permission even if you play like Spellpiers and Daces in the deck to still be able to combat Miracles in the late game and that's something 
people mostly forget. And yeah, know when to overextend and when not to. Sometimes it's correct to play two creatures. Mostly it's not, but always think twice and don't follow the idea of never overextending as Miraclis. But also don't like go all in. Doesn't work. Sam. Uh, my favorite thing about this matchup is, uh, like like you said, you do have to respect days, but if you have the ability to get a turn two counterbalance out, which could just be you have two of them and you're willing to throw one away, or you are willing to counter days, uh, it the counterbalance is just so good in the matchup because I'm look I, I just pulled up a deck list to check, and they've got four force, four goyf, and the entire rest of the deck is lands and one drops. So. I feel pretty good about the matchup as long as you're able to get counterbalance down before they've gotten a significant number of threats in, uh, into play. Now, once they have got those threats into play, uh, you've got essentially you know maybe six removal spells in addition to your sweepers because Red Blast hitting the Delver is super relevant. Other than that, you know, like I said, just if you can keep them down to a small number of threats, you're generally in a pretty okay position to uh, execute the rest of your game plan, which is terminus away their threats and then entreat them. Is there something I can I can say? Uh, I agree absolutely. Uh, I think uh, counterbalance is so powerful; it's basically win condition. So after the board, you can uh, you, we usually remove uh, Jace, of course, because it's not very good. But you can even uh, remove uh, entry the angels. Depending how you feel, I'd still like to have some, but you can remove it and you just kill him with counterbalance top and click. That's enough. Uh, there's one thing I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want to bring a red elemental blast against the Ragdelver. Uh, because there are not that many cards you can hit. Of course, you can kill uh, Delver, I agree. But uh, you don't want to be fetching for a volcanic too early, in my opinion. But it's, uh, I think you much rather have Flusterstorm which can help you against Stifle, and it can also provide some counter-backup, like Red Elemental Blast would do. Uh, so I'm not sure about this one, but I agree. Uh, one other thing I'd forgotten about. If you're like me and you're super greedy, uh, bringing in Blood Moon in this matchup can be super, super strong, because then you've set them on their four bolts plus their whatever flex bolts they've got, and other than that, they have no way of playing any spells. Uh, so you would still lose to yeah I guess sulfuric vortex. <laughs> yeah, and if if I may say a thing or two about Blood Moon, um, these super Im- impactful things that turn around games, they may seem well suited in a deck that has like twenty cantrips if you count like Chase and Snapcaster, but I actually think that they are not. I think your goal should be to construct a deck in such a way that you basically have lands, counter spell, and removal, and then you have one win condition. Something like this. You, I don't, I don't think you actually want stuff that can turn around games, but also be completely worthless, even though you play like twenty cantrips. But that's basically a design philosophy standpoint. Fair enough. <clears throat> Moving on, the last one that we will have time for, and maybe we'll do more at another time. Uh, the abrupt decay decks, essentially. I know there's a lot to kind of go over. There's punishing Jun. There's bug. There's junk. There's Dark Maverick, there's there's a lot, but we'll just we can generalize a little bit into the abrupt decay decks. Sam, I mean Death's Shadow is really really strong against miracles, <laughs> especially if they have two of them, and then you start to plow just one. <laughs> it's pretty good, I guess. Um, I mean this is again I'm super greedy. I love bringing Blood Moon in in this matchup. Uh, a lot of the BGX decks are playing one or no basics. Other than that, I think a really important target kind of kill on site like uh, I talked about with elves is Deathrite Shaman 
it speeds them up, it gives them a clock. Uh, that's one of the cards I'm most concerned about. Uh, I haven't played Miracles in a while, so I'd be more interested to hear uh, the other guys' uh, opinions on the matchup. Well, I Come think on. it's a it's a big difference whether we are talking about uh, Shardless Buck and whether we're talking about, for example, Junt. There are probably two most common uh, Abrupt DK decks I come I come across. Um, I think uh, Junt is in theory very difficult, uh, but practically they just uh, they can't really smooth their draws. And if you somehow survive the original assault, Top is extremely powerful in this matchup and. And you kill them with entry the angels. At least uh, I always win two one. Uh, it's uh, so so it's it's a powerful deck, but it's uh, it's not stable enough in my opinion. That's my experience. Uh, that's here where you want to keep counterbalance and bring rest in peace. But uh, against Charles Buck, I wouldn't bring in rest in peace. I would just uh, and I would side out uh, counterbalance. So which to some extent blanks their abrupt decays. They have to keep some in. Because what if I have, or what for the third game I can bring counterbalance back or something, rest in peace. But I think generally Snapcaster is fantastic. You want Red Elemental Blast uh, because that, that does a lot. It counters the draw three, it destroys Jace, it kills Creeping Tarpit if you need it. And uh, this, this matchup is really is hard and I enjoy it very much because I still think... Uh, our deck is just so much more stable, so we can avoid some like blank draws when they draw land two, three, or something like that. So I, I think it's a hard matchup, but I think it's uh, um, I, I still want to play it for miracles. One card they can really destroy our day is Nullrod. That's one card. But the good thing about the matchup in Bach, in my opinion, is that they don't really have counters. You know, they only have force of will. And uh, with Liliana, they often discard both hands. Then when Liliana is on six, you play Snapcaster, end of turn, you find from your top, you source the closure his only creature, he just played. You attack Liliana down to four, he has to minus it. So suddenly you like reset Liliana, so you're okay and you still have top. Um, so, and you can still entry. And so Liliana basically helps you to resolve your entry, if you know what I mean against this deck. So I enjoy that the deck can does not really have uh, counters and they can't really do anything. They You play Jace and there's not much they can do about it. So uh, it can be tough and a lot of people say it's a very bad matchup for Miracles, but I think it's not so bad. Julian? Well, I guess I got no, nothing to add to that. Philip? Uh, just just one thing. Um, in Treaty Angels is your, is your main game plan if you're playing against like non-blue BGX. You're kind of like playing to entreat only. You're throwing all your resources um, on the table to survive and like entreat once and you win. Against Shardless it's a little bit trickier because you have you ha have to basically have entreat and one red blast. But yeah, uh, I agree with most of what has been said already. I think it's kind of interesting. Like sometimes we see people bring in slaughter games and name and treat the angels because they are very much aware of that this is the main game plan and that it changes a lot. So. How, how do you feel like, or how would you approach the match if, if they actually slaughter game your Entreat the Angels? Like, are you, what's your main path to victory after that? I actually had a game like that at um, Basar of Maxen last year. My opponent started with um, Thoughtsis, discarded my Entreat, and then surgically extracted in the first turn. Okay. And I, I, I just went Ponder, Snapcaster, Ponder, Chase, bounce Snapcaster, Snapcaster, Ponder, attack, 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 attack you're dead. Thanks for trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, 
the matchup gets super super hard if they extract your entry dangers. If they have punching fire, you can basically concede. Um, if they have punching fire and you have no entry, you're dead. If they don't have punching fire, you can still eke out advantage with snapcasts and chases. But yeah. Yes, that's. A, I'm sorry, that's a deck I of our friend Niklas Kornberger, who has who plays uh, Chalice of the Void. It's Agrolon with Chalice of the Void, punishing fire. All the naughty cards against us and slaughter games in the board, and his, his galactics and uh, zenits and everything. So this 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 is super hard matchup. And when he has punishing fire and slaughter games, it it can be actually maybe I would admit for first time tonight that this is not a good matchup. Oh, that's that <laughs> must be playing, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna sit here like to to the decks that I've been playing a lot because again, I'm here to play a moderator, but. I mean, there are certain selections of, like, Punishing Fire, Slaughter Games, Gaddock Teague, Planeswalkers, that Miracles does have trouble with, and if you have a deck that has a lot of those cards in it, I don't think it's going to be fun to be on the Miracles side. Yeah, I agree. But I think then you suffer in other matchups because not all those cards are good against, say, Storm Combo, Sneak and Show, etc. So, you have to pick your poison. Yeah. So I think because we're sitting at just over two hours for a cast, which is a little bit long, I think we're going to wrap it up. So if you wanted to say uh, each one thing about the discussion about miracles, we'll start with Thomas. Thomas? I'm not saying, you know, I try to play miracles. It's it's really the best deck, you know. Uh, have the patience and you'll be rewarded with uh, absolutely amazing experience from the tournament where uh, you will never have to say, I was unlucky. You know, that's. I think it's it's worth it. It's fantastic deck. So try out, try miracles. Philip. Um. Yeah. Like, it's it's the best deck for now. If you if you wanna win, try it out. It's it's hard. It'll take a while. But as said earlier, it's super rewarding. And yeah, I hope I could convey the um deck building philosophy of minimizing everything and cantrips. I really hope I did. Julian. What can I say? I mean, it is the best deck, and I already call a deck like the best deck. I always like calling it the, the strongest deck or whatever. But yeah, it's the thing that you should put your thoughts into. That's why I every now and then I pick it up again and play it because I feel I owe it to myself. And a friend of mine, Anton Kalinski, he once said to a guy who wanted to pick up miracles, um, "If you pick up miracles, know what you're doing because for the first like six months you will lose a lot." And you will be frustrated because you're like, but I terminus and I snapcaster swords and in the end he still got me. But like after half a year, you will finally like get your win percentage up to where you want it to be. But yeah, I mean, from my side, all I can say it's definitely worth it. And lastly, Sam. Uh, I'm going to revive a tradition from the first several podcasts. Uh, I am now going to sing a song about miracles. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in miracles. Where are you from? You sex thing, you sex thing, you. I believe in miracles. Since you came along, you sex thing. You sexy thing in this instance is Entreat the Angels. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Your rendition was excellent. So. Thank, thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us on the cast. Uh, thanks to Tomas for coming on, and nice to see Philip again, and obviously thanks, Julian and uh, Sam will we'll always be here. So uh, like us on Facebook, 
Sam paste the thing in where you say these things. Okay. Let's make this not one of those long, drawn-out, awkward goodbye hugs and just say, okay, guys, tune in next time. Let's say goodbye and all... (laughs) Let's say goodbye and then all continue to walk the same direction. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This, This stays in. Questions, comments, and observations are always appreciated. You can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast, on Twitter at eternalmtg, in the comments section on our website, or on MTG the Source. Matt is SDE underscore Matt on Twitter. Julian is it's Julian 23 Philip is Miracle underscore Dude. I'm the Craven O-N-E, and Tomas is not on Twitter. Today's music has been the battle boss music from Nameless, the Hackers RPG, an RPG for iOS by Boxcat Games. Check out Boxcat Games at box-cat.com or on the iTunes app store.